Welcome to Book Talk with Kara Putman. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Kara Putman, the award-winning, best-selling author of more than 30 novels. I write romantic legal suspense and World War II romance, but I read voraciously. Each week, I'll introduce you to one of my favorite author friends as we talk books, writing, and life. Be sure to check back frequently for new episodes. everyone, welcome back to Book Talk. And in this episode, I am delighted to welcome three of my friends. Um, <laughs> there's three amazing writers here, y'all. And I have their books here. And I can tell you, y'all know, I adore Gabrielle Meyer's writing. And this book in this moment is phenomenal. We're gonna talk more about it, but it sucked me in from the beginning. I've been under crazy tight deadlines and couldn't put it down. And we'll talk more about why in a minute. Then I also have Rosanna White, who her next book is this amazing, A Beautiful Disguise. I'm only a few chapters in right now, but I can tell you, I can't wait to finish the book I'm writing right now. So I can just jump in because she had me hooked from the first page when they are hanging on the side of a building and doing all kinds of crazy shenanigans to, I mean, it felt like a little bit of James Bond set in the Gilded Age. And I was completely sucked in because I'm all about spies and thrillers, but Gilded Age with all that, too much fun. And then Rocky Mountain Rendezvous with my friend Misty Beller. And I think they're all like, how does she have paper copies of these books? Because they don't even have them yet. I am so special right now. Um, and this is fun because it's set in 1837 at a rendezvous in the mountains with four sisters who are where they should not be because there's a bunch of men and four women. And that's always a recipe for trouble. But again, just really from the very first pages sucked in. So all of these women are phenomenal writers. Each of these books is the first in a, well, Gabrielle, Gabriel's isn't uh, the first in the series. It's number two. But I have had her on to talk about the first in the series, and this one is such a mind bender of a series that you should jump in regardless. But there are these books that are set in different time periods. There's something for everybody, and I can't wait to introduce you to them. So, Rosanna, we're going to start with you because this is your first time on Book Talk. Do you want to tell people just a little bit about yourself? All right. I'm one of those people who have been writing since I was a wee tiny little thing. Um, what I always wanted to do, and I homeschool my kids. My oldest one is graduating this year, which is insane. I don't know how time has sped by that much. Um, so I am on, I think, book number 30-ish coming out right now. It's so hard to keep track with when everything releases and when you turn them in, but somewhere in that neighborhood. And um, yeah, very excited for this new series and just uh, excited to be here. And Gabrielle, do you want to go next? Yeah, actually, I could just basically say what Rosanna just said. Um, wanted to be a writer ever since I was very, very little and wanted to be a homeschool mom. And my oldest is graduating this year. So it's kind of cool. And um, I think in this moment is book 33 for me. So um, I live in central Minnesota. I married my high school sweetheart and we are loving it. It's finally warm here. We're recording this a, a while before you'll see it, but it's been in the seventies and all of the snow is disappearing. We're so happy. <laughs> it finally got nice here in Indiana, like three days ago. And it was so fun this morning because the students were actually sitting outside doing things and the hammocks came out and I was like, it is springtime, finally. 
And Misty, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. I had no idea the three of us have so much in common. <clears throat> um, I have always been a diehard reader. Um, never actually thought I could be a writer um, until I, I tried it on a bucket list. Um, I'm also a homeschool mom um, of five, and my oldest is graduating this year. <laughs> and um, I'm, like Rosanna said, it's really hard to keep up with what number the book releasing is, but I'm writing my 39th book. So we're all in the 30s as well. So, wow. We should start a crazy. support group or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that. in my bio. <laughs> I love it because I'm at, I think I, the book I'm writing right now is 40 or 41. Yeah. I homeschooled for 12 years <laughs> and my oldest though is a little older than yours because she's 22 wow. and just got married. So I'm a little bit ahead of you on that, but it is funny how, again, wanted to be a writer since I was about this tall and yeah. all the fun things. So lots of similarities in this foursome. But let's start with the books because y'all are just gifted and talented and you write all over the place. And I'm just going with the first book I grabbed. There's no rhyme or reason because you're all amazing. But Misty, I grabbed your book first. So how did you get the idea for this book? I'm always impressed with the 1800s because that is a time period I have no interest in writing. <laughs> how did you pick 1837 and a mountain Oh, that's a good question. Um, I love the 1800s. That's really the only time period I want to write. Um, and I've found myself writing earlier and earlier. Um, I, I was trying to brainstorm a new series um, and I had wanted to write something set in a rendezvous um, because it's just such a crazy fun setting and just anything can happen in um, a trapper rendezvous. And um, so I had given several different ideas to Bethany House, and that's the one that they unanimously came back with. Um, and I was so excited. I finally got to write my rendezvous story. Um, and it was so much more fun to write than I expected it to be. Um, for those who don't know what a trapper mountain or a trapper rendezvous, mountain man rendezvous um, was, um, pretty much all of the trappers who lived in the Rocky Mountains during that time um, and a lot of the native tribes, so there would be thousands of men, um, would gather um, usually somewhere in Wyoming. Um, 1837 was one of the rendezvous that was the biggest and just had a lot going on in it. Um, so the camp stretched miles and miles and miles and just as far as you could see were just men and lodges and horses and men and men and men. So I just thought it'd be a lot of fun to, um, why would four sisters or I started off with three, but it ended up with four. Why would they come west um, and find themselves in the midst of this? And how could they not know? And um, it was, it's a fun story. It was a really fun story to write. I just, it sounds like a recipe for disaster. That many men <laughs> yes. stretching as far as you can see and four white women. Nothing. Yes. I mean, it was just like, it sounds like such a recipe for disaster. And then you've got this one. You have a woman clinging to the side of a building in a leotard in like 1908, listening to a lord and a couple other people, an ambassador of some sort. And I was like, she's going to fall off the building. She's going to break her neck. And she's in a leotard. What on earth? How'd you come up with that idea, Rosanna? Well, Actually, the idea for the series was one of those random ones that came to me in a dream. I just had a dream about the, this Edwardian 
thing where it was a group called the imposters and they were spying on the elite and I knew there were siblings involved. And so when I woke up, I was like, okay, what in the world is this crazy idea? So when I developed it, I decided, okay, the siblings are aristocrats, but they are on the verge of bankruptcy. So they need to earn a living. So they decide, hey, let's open an investigative firm and spy on our peers. Um, so then the fun part was figuring out why they were on the big the brink of bankruptcy, which was that their father had lost all their money on the entertainments he brought to them throughout the years. Um, so they were actually influenced greatly by the acrobats and the circus performers and the musicians and the theater groups that came through all their childhood. And they used those skills that they learned from them, like the acrobatics, um, trapeze work, all that fun stuff to do their spying. So it's super, super fun. Okay, I'm having the wrong kind of dreams. Because I don't remember my dreams and they don't watch three book or four book series. I don't usually, but that one did. And I adore this series. It is such a creative take on time travel. And this one, you've got your character going, living in three different timelines. How did you land on the first one to then her off and figure out the other timelines that she was going to live in in this moment so yeah book one is uh, when the day comes and it's about a woman born with a gift so she lives two lives at the same time it's the gift she was born born with I think I just said that twice um so when she goes to sleep she wakes up in the other one when she goes to sleep there she wakes up in the first one without time passing while she's gone and so um book two then um for different reasons if you haven't read book one you I don't want to spoil anything, but in book two, um, it's the daughter from the first heroine, and she has three timelines. So she lives, the story takes place in 1861, 1941, and 2001. So she goes to sleep in 1861, wakes up in 1941, goes to sleep there, wakes up in 2001, goes to sleep there, and then pops back to 1891. No time has passed um, while she's gone. And um, at the age of 21, she has to decide which of those three lives to keep. So when I thought about the story idea and thought three lives, where would I put her? I instantly thought about those timelines because ever since I was little, I was really fascinated in that um, the Civil War and World War II had similar ending years. So 1861 to 1865, 1941 to 1945. And I remember on September 11th, 2001, I thought we were entering another war that was starting on a one. So it, I don't know why I'm not like a numbers person, but that just fascinated me. And then when I pulled it all together and started, you know, putting the pieces together, there's so many similarities and it just works really well. And I think it helps that that character is living all three of those so that the, the reader can kind of experience the similarities too. So it was a lot of fun, a lot of research, but, and I also have her in Washington, D.C. in each one, so you can see the differences between the city and each of those time periods. And that was fascinating, because as someone who lived in D.C. for eight years, I know the city pretty well, and I knew a lot of the history, so I knew how bad it was during the Civil War and when Abraham Lincoln was there. And so a lot of that, that for a lot of readers would be like, oh my gosh, they just came in and out. I was like, yeah, they just came in and out. And then, you know, you've got the increasing layers of security at the White House and things like that. But some readers have commented on 
how 2001 helped them relate to other parts of the timeline. How has that shown up for people? I think, you know, because most readers live through 2001 and we all have such emotional connections to that particular event in history. And so um, I think it's easier for them then to at the same time go, wow, I can kind of put myself in the shoes of people who lived during the Civil War and lived during Pearl Harbor. And, and it becomes so much more alive for them. And for a lot of people who haven't read a book set during 2001 yet, um, it's been a really emotional. I had one person who emailed me and she said, I'm getting, I know it's coming because we know September 11th. She said, I know it's coming. I'm putting it down tonight because I know it's just going to be too emotional for me to sleep after I read it. And so, but she enjoyed it. It was good. But you know, it's, it's, all of us have such deep connection to that time. Yeah, if, before we started recording this, I was going on and on and on and on, and on about my 2000 or my September 11 thing, and it it is, and it's it's such recent history, but yet it's distant now that it's just starting to pop up in books, and so I think it'll be interesting because it is kind of our where were you when man walked on the moon or when JFK was assassinated or when Pearl Harbor occurred. It's kind of that for our generation, and so that's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how people react to that. So Rosanna, when you were doing your research for your aristocrat, acrobatic, um, spies extraordinaire, what was one of the things that surprised you the most when you were doing your research for them? One of the kind of happiest coincidences that I discovered was that MI5, which is the, the British intelligence, like the first British intelligence, um, was actually created in 1909. So that's how I decided, perfect year. We'll just pick that year. Um, so learning that there was actually a huge spy mania in England yeah. at the time, but it was all because of a novelist. <laughs> so there was this very popular novelist who was writing spy novels. And he convinced the entire population of England that there were German spies everywhere. <laughs> and there weren't, it was totally, totally fiction. Um, but it was so much fun to realize that the British government actually were so overwhelmed with people reporting all of these supposed spies that they had to form an agency to actually take care of intelligence. It just didn't exist in England before then. They were way behind everyone else. So it was really fun to learn that fiction kind of spurred the actual British intelligence machine. I didn't know the genesis for M15. Oh my goodness, who knows what our novels are going to generate? <laughs> That's crazy. So Misty, how about with your book? You know, you're you write a lot of books set on the frontier, kind of the mountain edge of what was happening in the 1800s. Was there anything as you were researching the rendezvous in 1837 that you were like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that this was happening. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I am always um, reading firsthand accounts, um, journals of trappers and journals of um, people who lived with the natives. And um, so I don't know that there was anything that happened when I was actively researching for this book, but just in the past um, stories that I've read um, and listened to the audiobooks of um, had really um, just kind of gathered in my mind, I had gathered stories of things that happened at rendezvous. So, um, so yes, there were, there were some crazy, crazy, crazy stories. And in fact, I tried to include some of them, um, in the book and, um, my editor from Bethany house came back and said, 
is this a true story? Are you sure there were that many people who died during that? <laughs> like, how did the, the rabid wolf just sneak openly into camp? How did... <laughs> so it's, it's definitely one of those situations where um, fact is much stranger than is usually allowed in fiction. And some of them I had to tame down just a little bit, but um, I, I just loved continue to love um, listening to those firsthand accounts to get the, the crazy stories. Life was really wild for those who lived in the Rockies back in the early 1800s, especially. So when you're, because that's something that we often will talk about, like in writing circles, you know, I would include that in a novel, but there's no way my editor would let me, even though it really happened. <laughs> yes. So yes. it's something that when I'm writing, like I just did a couple of World War II novellas this year, and I've learned the hard way that I always just, I'll footnote like nobody's business when I'm writing a historical, because it just kind of, it gets a, ahead of, oh, that couldn't have really happened. That can't be true. And I'll be like, yep, yep, it's footnoted so that you can go and check the source material yourself. Um, to kind of get ahead of some of those, wait, no, no way, that can't be real. So are there things that use strategies like that or things that you do to, or do you just kind of pull back and go, there's no way that they would ever let me put this in because they wouldn't believe that it's real. Have you ever run into anything like that in your writing? Um, so usually I do just not put it in. Or, or I'll tame it down to where it, it feels more believable. Um, but it's really fiction at that point, which I guess is okay since we're writing fiction. Um, but I, I do definitely keep a document um, of just web links to my different resources for different things um, so that I can <laughs> have the backup or go back and look at the reference when I'm doing my edits. And um, but really, even when I'm using true stories, um, like I said, they're just they're never quite true by the time I, I adjust them to to be believable and to fit the timeline and to fit the characters. Um, but I love having those as the impetus for a lot of the events that happen um, within the books. Uh, How about you, Rosanna? Because you write a, you've written many, many series. Um, and also, I think most of yours have been historical. Have you ever had to do that where you're like, I want to include this, but I just know that fact is way too far out there for my editors to let me go there. I, I have never pulled back. I include it. I always, I love the power of an author's note because the people yeah. who are going to be really picky are the ones who are going to read that and be like, what does she have to say about this? And then I use it as content to put on my website. Like, let's write about this history. Let's put up an article. You can go check that out and learn all about the crazy, bizarre history that's even weirder than fiction. But yeah, I love including those sorts of things. And um, there are definitely times where there's something so fascinating that I really want to include it. And it has nothing to do with the force of my book. So then it's like, okay, how can I make this a really important plot point after all? So yeah, I've been known to rewrite the entire plot to fit a very strange little tidbit I want to fit in. That's awesome. How about you, Gabrielle? Yeah, I actually, I agree with Rosanna. I love the author's note. And that's what I do as I'm, I'm writing as I'm making little notes like this is this was the real history. This is how I changed it a little bit to fit into the story, mm -hmm. or here's where you can go to learn more. Um, I usually will include whatever it is that I find because I think it's like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Um, but I, you know, I have to put a shout out for Elizabeth at Bethany House. I don't even know her last name. Um, she does my fact checking and 
especially for like in this moment, there's so much history. I was blown away because she was so precise. Um, she even found like, there's this event that happened that um, Maggie, my character hears about in the afternoon. And she said to me, no, the people, the soldiers didn't get back to the city until that night. So she's like, so you're just going to have to change the time, you know? So and, and if it's not a big deal, if it doesn't affect the plot, I'll change that because it didn't. Um, but there's once in a while where it's like, this really happened two weeks later than than in the story. So that's when I'll use the author author note, just so that, you know, if there's somebody who knows the history, you don't want them emailing saying, hey, you got it wrong. So I love it, though. I think yeah. it's fun. That's why we write hi historical, right? It's because it's just crazy. Yeah. It is. And as a reader, I love the author notes and there have been times I'll be reading a book and I'm like, man, this feels really authentic and it feels really well-researched. And I will actually jump to the author notes because I want to know what parts of the story are true. And I want to know where the author has deviated from the history. And so as a reader, I love the author note and I want all of the details because I am a history minor and I love that learning. And so as an author, I will actually go through and I'll, I do the same thing where I'm like, okay, here's what's real. Here's what I changed. Here's why I changed it. And even in the novella that just came out in Across the Shores, I changed where I had a boat land. And I'm like, it would have landed here at this base, but I had it changed here because this is where the hero was stationed. And one of my first readers is like, well, why did you mess with that? I'm like, because I needed it to for the story. There was a Coast Guard station here. There was a Coast Guard station there. It could have gone here or there. It doesn't really matter in the realm of things. Most people won't care. One reader would have known. So I put it in the note, you know, but for that one reader that would have destroyed my credibility if I hadn't acknowledged that, yes, 99.9%. .9 and if you read that one book, it would have told you this one boat would have gone there. But I really needed for my story, I needed it to be here 10 miles this way instead of there. And so I think when we're honest with readers, they're happy to go with us and, you know, have it because we're not writing nonfiction. We could do that. But where's the fun in that? So when you're when you're thinking about like your next series, and I know y'all are in the middle of the stories in the series that you're writing right now. But when you're thinking and you're exploring what's next and what's to come. How do you find the germ, that, that spark, that what if, that gets you going, ooh, this could become something. Now, it doesn't always come from a dream, Rosanna. You know, we're not always that fortunate to have that. We wake up and go, oh, my gosh, it's a gift from on high that came to me in the middle of the night. Although, if you can give me whatever had that all come together, I'd be forever grateful because that sounds amazing. So how do, how do you normally... Or is there a normal? Maybe there's not. Maybe, I mean, sometimes every series and every book's different. But how do you normally come up with what your idea or that spark idea or spark is? And Gabrielle, I'll start with you. Usually, um, it comes through researching other books. So um, I love, love, love the research process. And I enjoy that more sometimes than the actual writing process. Um, and usually I will read something while I'm researching. So for like um, when the day comes, um, my first book in the Timeless series, she is a dollar princess. So she, um, her mother is trying to take their wealth 
and purchase a title, marry her off to an English lord. And so um, I just did a lot of research that didn't even go into the book, but I was so fascinated by it that it actually sparked the idea for another series. And so I'm um, not going to talk too much about it, but um, it it just, and now I'm researching this other series and it's giving me ideas for the next one. So that's usually where my ideas come from is just researching and finding that cool history. Love that. How about you, Rosanna? Um, a lot of it is is from research, much like Gabrielle said, uh, and it's just always those what ifs. Like you mentioned, Kara, mm -hmm. I get this idea of what if you know there was a family of thieves who were hired by the government, or what if you know what if there was a violinist who was asked to do this thing, and so that usually like premise usually comes before any idea of actual plot or even who the characters are going to be. Just that that spark that. You know, it might come from research, it might come from some random television show I'm watching, it might come from a random phrase that I come across. Um, one of my most favorites is actually, um, I was signing books when The Number of Love came out, and I was, they were pre-orders, and I had like six of them to Elizabeth, different Elizabeths, and I was like, oh man, another Elizabeth, and I was like, and it just sparked this idea for two Elizabeths who were mixed up, and that became the nature of a lady, so... <laughs> You never know, just random phrases get stuck in my head sometimes and turn into a whole book. I love that. And how about you, Missy? Kind of what Rosanna just said. Um, it's it's the what if, and it comes, I never know where it's going to come from. Um, my Brides of Laurent series um, came from, I was listening to a historical podcast just I'm just a history nerd. <clears throat> and so I, I just randomly take things in. Um, and it was a podcast about Vikings and um, about, and I think maybe just a few sentences were about um, how they had come farther West into Canada than people assumed they had. And I got to thinking, I wonder if they, what if they went even farther west than that and went all the way to the Rocky Mountains. And maybe there was one village who survived, um, but maybe they were hidden away for a thousand years. And um, so that was kind of the spark for that series. We changed it from Vikings to a French settlement that was hidden there in caves for a hundred years. So it was a little more believable, but um, you just never know where that spark is going to come from. Um, I love that. Yeah. And that's, that's part of the fun of researching. Absolutely. And I think so many stories come that way. So now we'll do just a couple of really quick questions. What's easier to write, heroes or heroines? Rosanna. Maybe heroes, actually. I, I like the different mindset. Gabrielle. I would actually heroes too. I don't know why, but love a good hero. Yeah. yeah. Misty? The same. Um, yeah. I don't know if we just have so much in common, the, the three or four of us, or if this is a, a common trait, but I, I love to write the hero. Um, a lot of my heroes are, not all of them, but some of them are the strong, silent type. Um, and my older brother is kind of like that too. Um, and so if ever I'm stuck and, you know, how would this hero act in this scene? I just kind of think of David in that scene and, and go with it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the same way. The heroes are so much easier to write, and I don't know why, but they just are. They're just so much easier. Um, tea or coffee? Misty? Coffee. Definitely coffee. <laughs> Gabrielle? 
I'm actually a tea drinker. Um, I have, I have a diagnosed caffeine sensitivity. Unfortunately, I'd be, I can't even do Java chunk ice cream if it's after 5 PM and I'm just wired all night. So tea. I'm so sorry. Rosanna. <laughs> Mostly coffee though. I do love tea. I usually do coffee in the morning, tea in the afternoon or evening. Yeah. I'm becoming more like that. I, Dr. Pepper in my twenties, coffee started in my thirties and now I'm starting to switch to coffee in the mornings, tea more in the afternoon and evenings, but I always love coffee. There's something about the smell. And mm. if you could travel anywhere, let's say the four of us were going to go on a writing retreat and you could travel anywhere. Cost was no object. Where would you go? Gabrielle. Um, I, it would definitely be Europe somewhere. Probably England and Scotland. Yes. I would love yes. that. I'll go with you. Okay. <laughs> Rosanna? Yeah, who's who's going to put this together? Because I'm totally on board. <laughs> um, definitely, I would love to go again to England. I've been once. Um, I, want, I want to go to the Isles of Scilly. I wrote a series set there. It's off the coast of Cornwall. So gorgeous. And I really wanted to visit. And then COVID. Yeah. Just, you know, so that's that's yeah. still my dream. I, I really want to go to these islands. They're beautiful. Yeah, that's so cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It is just always a delight to be with y'all and to learn more about your books and what um, inspires you. And all of them are wonderful. So if you haven't read them yet in this moment, Cannot recommend this one and the other book in the series highly enough. A Beautiful Disguise has me hooked and Rocky Mountain Rendezvous also. And I'm not usually an 1830s kind of book reader, but this one had me hooked from the moment that I read the first words out of the heroines. And I don't even know which one really is the lead character yet because all four of them <laughs> have such strong personalities that I can't wait to dive in. And the hero though, oh my word. Talk about the strong silent type. He is a keeper. So definitely look for all three of these books and anything by these three women you are going to love. And thanks so much for watching and listening. And thank you three for joining me. It was so much fun. Thank you. Thanks. If you enjoyed this conversation, remember you can join us live on my Facebook page on Tuesday evenings at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the next conversation. I'd also be grateful if you'd leave a review on your favorite platform. I love to hear from you, so be sure to leave a comment on this episode's show page at caraputman.com, and you can also interact with me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And don't forget, when you join my e-newsletter, I send you a copy of Dying for Love, the novella that launches the Hidden Justice series, as my gift to you. Thanks again for tuning in.